Deezer Originals Now It's time for Strong and Stable 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 Strong and Hello I'm Dom Jolly and welcome to Strong and Stable the podcast that's around for as long as there's a general election happening. So, see you next month, and the month after that, and probably the month after that. Due to a full cabinet reshuffle, not a half-assed non-shuffle that drags in Michael Gove, we have a brand new array of guests this week. And they are journalist, author, TV presenter, and person most likely to be the next leader of the Lib Dems, if Lembit Opic doesn't run, it's bound to be her turn soon, Rachel Johnson. Applause. Woo! Well done. <laughs> a comedian and novelist who, as a Chelsea fan, can no doubt sympathise with Theresa May's current predicament of being hugely unpopular despite actually winning, David Baddiel. I've applauded myself. Well done. And journalist, writer and broadcaster Hugo Rifkind, whose novel Overexposure was described as an arch, laugh-out-loud thriller, much like the general election itself. <laughs> Welcome. So, guests, let's crack on. I mean, it's been a slow week. There's Where's been not much applause? going on. Hey? Where's my applause? Yeah, I'm oh, sorry. Dom just carried on talking. <laughs> I'm really sorry. As can I, can I say, I'm going to interrupt Dom yeah, straight on, away and say I was told very clearly that Michael Gove would be on this podcast, and I, I want to know why he isn't. There. I was not told that I was coming on effectively as Michael Gove, I just, which is I, almost worse. I just thought you had been told that you were standing in for Michael Gove, so it was quite awkward in the warm-up when I said, thank you for standing in for Michael Gove. You firstly said, <laughs> yeah. you do know I'm not a Tory, which was, we, we understand that. Good. Your dad's yeah. a Tory, though, so it's all... So, so far, yeah, but it, but it kind of like, yeah. there's a link there, roughly, basically. vaguely, I yeah, guess. So yeah, okay. I mean, my mum's a, a zoologist, and I'm not so really we've a got zoologist both. either. So but, there we go. Um, yeah. So uh, Michael Gabe doesn't turn up weirdly because he's suddenly been flung back into the government. No, but it's very interesting, Dom. I'm, I'm, I'm opening that up as an interesting thing because Thank presumably you, I haven't listened to the Strongest Stable podcast. That's my fault. That's my bad, as the young people say. But <laughs> uh, it is the case, presumably, that there's free-flowing political conversation of all sorts on the Strongest yeah. Stable podcast. Then what happens over the weekend is Michael Gove gets a call saying you're back in the cabinet, at which point his first thought is, shit, I can't do the Strongest Stable podcast because <laughs> I'm no longer able to just say what I like about Theresa May. Much as I love the Strong and Stable podcast, and mm. it has a huge reach, it's yeah. been an incredible hit, yeah. there is a moment when you're Michael Gave on Monday thinking, I am unbelievably back in the cabinet. Yeah. Oh, I've got to do the Strong and T- Stable podcast <laughs> with, I thought it was David Schneider, <laughs> but actually it's Dom Jolly. <laughs> yeah. I would imagine you have certain on the first days back in cabinet. You've I probably got know. to prioritise, I you? think he probably... You think he, he got the call it? Are you saying Theresa he bottled May, it? I'm saying that when he got the call from Theresa May, or from whoever it was, who said, come in... Uh, his first thought was, oh, no, I'm not sure I can be environment <laughs> secretary because I've got on Tuesday, I've got to go and do the strongest. What he should have said is I can and I'm happy to be back the cabinet, but I can start Wednesday <laughs> after Tuesday. <laughs> Ironically, this morning and I felt very old this morning, as some of us possibly often do, because he was on BBC Breakfast and someone said to him, how do you, you know, were you surprised when you were called back? And he literally said, for a moment, I thought it was Dom Jolly on Trigger Happy <laughs> TV. Now, A. I've never done prank phone calls, so he was linking to my big mobile. Yeah. B, immediately, even I was thinking, bloody hell, that ages you a little bit <laughs> on a cultural level. By so, the way, nobody told me Michael Gove was coming on. Was that, that's, was that, that was why. It was, a honey, it, was it was a honey trap. <laughs> yeah, did you, did did you tell me? Michael Gove that Rachel was coming yeah, exactly. on? Yes, we did, and he was very keen. Uh, was he? Yes, he was really keen. Well, he's already been talking about having a role in the hay with my brother. Yes, so I know. Maybe he's... he's but you, you know, had a chance. We met the last. The sap is rising. Isn't the only it, time you, I, and Michael Gove have been in the same place was at the end of the Cheltenham Literature Festival. 
Oh, yeah, it's true. When you, when I got you were hanging like floor. a wallflower. I was drunk in the corner, and and Gove was dancing like a fiend. Then but that I was the night. With him. Wasn't that the night he left his child alone <sighs> in a hotel till three in the morning? Alone, was that David Cameron. Alone. No, Gove. He, he left his child in a pub. David Cameron forgot his child. The Tories, they are the leaving (laughs) child party, aren't they? Or any types of leaving of child. Every child left behind. That's their slogan. (laughs) Strong and stable. After her snap election backfired more spectacularly than a car containing Richard Hammond, Theresa May is trying to convince us that no majority is better than a bad majority. And the country is on tenterhooks to see when she'll announce a snap resignation. Emily Thornberry has said that Theresa May is squatting in Downing Street, presumably because she's shitting herself, while George Osborne called her a dead woman walking, which I think is another way of saying she's the ghost of Margaret Thatcher. So, guests, has it been sorted? Has uh, Nick Timothy and Fiona Hill been booted out? Is it all going to be okay now? Is Theresa all right? Is she safe? They won't get rid of her because they'd probably have to have an election and no one else wants the job. Everyone's going to wait for her to fail, probably. But hasn't she's she, hasn't she already failed? Fail more. Fail, fail harder. You know, um, I mean, the, the Tories really, really, really don't want an election. And so as long as they don't do anything at all for the next five years, it's all going to be OK. But is there a possibility that she's thinking, OK, it's bad now, but if I just don't do anything as bad as that for the next few years they'll have forgotten about it and then i'll go down as one of the great prime ministers in history she can't get anything through parliament yeah but that's it really she can't get anything through parliament she can't she can't can't do anything that annoys either half of her party or or anyone else yes so she's just got to do something she's got to do completely inoffensive stuff for the next five years while negotiating brexit Brexit. what i loved was she apologized to the 1922 committee by saying i'm sorry i got you into this mess and i'm the person to get you out of it which seems (laughs) Well, at least, the, at least her software had been updated by that stage. That was, she'd Friday, been rebooted. On Friday, it was the old um, program, and she hadn't, yeah. you know, they hadn't downloaded her properly, and yeah. so she was still on the last iteration. But that is of quite iPhone. weird. I do think that is weird about her. I mean, the whole thing with Theresa May, obviously, what's gone wrong with her is that she was a politician who no one really knew what she was. I mean, and the truth is, most people in this country only know two politicians anyway. They certainly don't know who the Home Secretary is. Suddenly, the Home Secretary has to come out of that and be the Prime Minister, and then you discover. She's someone who's absolutely uncomfortable in her own skin, doesn't know how to perform on television, and thinks the best thing to do is parrot some lines that Linton Crosby has given her to say over and over again. And what's really weird about that is that when she loses an election, and she has an opportunity at least to appear vulnerable, which is the starting point (laughs) of winning back the face of the country, Mm -hmm. and contrite, and like a human being, and and can say things like, yes, I realise I need to listen more to the electorate, or whatever you say. She, I mean, she can parrot that if she likes. Parrot that. Parrot some different stuff. But she, but she didn't. didn't. So how did she get there? Because, I mean, we all kind of supposedly she was thought was of a, as this incredibly strong Home Secretary. But why was she thought of that? And I think she got there because actually she didn't have allies. She's not clubbable, is she? So no, she had no. no allies. So she got in there because she wasn't, was maybe she, Boris wasn't lots of other she people. Was, she was no faction. So she had no allies and she had no, no particular enemies. Or the only sort of close to enemies she really had. Were, were David Cameron and George Osborne. You know, I mean, people forget, but at the last Tory conference, and remarkably people forget this obscure thing that happened at the last Tory conference before Brexit, but at the last Tory conference before Brexit, her speech was just so counter to the narrative the Tories were putting out. The Tories were being all kind of one nation, we are the progressive party, we have taken the centre, and she was there making a speech about sending people home in the back of anti-immigration vans and stuff. Mm. And it was just so different. And, and it looked like somebody who was just completely out of step with the narrative of the times. And so because why... she was, they put her in after Brexit. But that is all part of what... You, you wrote a piece, Hugo, this morning in the Times about the way that Jeremy Corbyn has sort of humanised himself mm. in order to become electable, 
which is true, but that's, uh, I don't wish to be over-structuralist about this, but that has to be seen in relation to Theresa May becoming less human. Yeah, so oh. I, I think the reason why Jeremy Corbyn, and I was watching him thinking, bloody hell, what's happened to Jeremy Corbyn? <laughs> he's like an ordinary politician, like sort of Tony mm-hmm. Blair or whatever. He's someone who's wearing an ordinary nice suit. He smiled. And, and smiling, and also pretty good on his feet, yeah. which he really wasn't, and just able to come across as an authentic human being. And that was all heightened by the fact you're thinking that's exactly what she isn't. Rachel. I mean, I'm not sure that her her um, recent effort to start speaking human, which she did only, let's face it, to the backbench committee. She In hasn't private, yet, yeah. She hasn't yet apologised to us. No. How about 56 million of us who had to go through the you know, goat fuck of the rolling goat fuck of the last seven weeks. I'm afraid we have a limit on goat fuck. Okay. Only one allowed. <laughs> I think she actually tried to resign on Friday night. Mm. Of course. And in her in floods of tears. Well, but she and, said it so boringly no one understood what she was saying. They, yeah. She was gonna do a Cameron, you know, yeah. nothing was as graceful as his departure and all the rest of it. Yeah. She was stopped from doing so by, you know, the Graham Brady's, the back bench, the hard Brexiters in cabinet who need her to stay in Downing Street. Like the Victorians used to prop up a corpse in their in their best clothes. While they get everything in, in a, ready. A, a death daguerreotype. While she stays there like that, kind of with her makeup on. Until you know she delivers the Brexit. That this they, is that called, she good thinks point. This is the political weekend at Bernie's, isn't it? Where you keep someone alive, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. just so you yeah. can yeah. get yeah. everything yeah. done. That episode yeah. of Faulty yeah. Towers, yeah. where yeah. they're hiding oh, yes, the of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a the long tradition. And yeah. meanwhile, the Europeans, the twenty. Our former, or still current, 27 European partners are laughing at us all the way to the Berlaymont, basically thinking we're turning into faulty towers, but minus Manuel, because we're not going to have any waiters, any <laughs> nurses, yeah. anybody. Manuel will be sent back, definitely. Because yeah. that hotel Brexit. would fall apart without yeah. Manuel. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. was the core of yeah. it. Yeah, his sax gate was just the start <laughs> of his problems, really. You're listening to Strong and Stable. And now it's time for a moment of quiet reflection from <laughs> Theresa May. Which surprised us, as the rumour is she doesn't have a reflection. Anyway, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, the Prime Minister. If you can take a 20-point advantage and a Labour Party torn apart by trots, then balls the whole thing up so absolutely, the only thing that saves you is the Scots. If you can have the right-wing press behind you, blackening your foes with endless hate, and yet you go from U-turn to disaster, perhaps you should have gone to that debate. If you repeat your strong and stable catchphrase, till everyone would ram it down your throat. If you can make a Cyberman sound chummy, and people give Lord Buckethead their vote. If you can't handle Provo-friendly Corbyn, and Farron claiming gay sex is a sin, and Nuttall with his burka-burning buddies, I'm sorry, but you don't deserve to win. If you can take your core support for granted by starving them of cash for winter fuel. If you can snatch away a kid's free meal and slash the funding to their school. If you can make a deal with mad extremists and claim that nothing's changed for anyone, yours is number ten till Boris takes it. And which is more, your Theresa May, my son. Thank you, Jan Ravens, I I mean Theresa May, for that stirring version of Rudyard Kipling's If... Presuming next week it will be I wandered lonely as a cloud through fields of wheat. (laughs) Following the election, Theresa May has announced a reshuffle that includes Damien Green as First Secretary of State, Michael Gove as Environment Secretary, 
and the DUP is the racist cousin you're obliged to invite to your wedding. <laughs> yes, left without a majority, the Prime Minister is now desperately trying to scrabble together a deal with the ultra-right Democratic Unionist Party. And these DUP negotiations have even led to the Queen's speech being delayed. That's right, there's a Queen's speech impediment. I thank you. <laughs> um, thank you. Very pleased with that. Thank you. Very good. What do we think of the DUP? I, I never really heard of the DUP. <laughs> I know I, I should know more about politics to be on a podcast, but I, until someone sent me on Twitter, uh, or actually I think I read it in The Guardian, what they believe in, I thought, oh, I didn't actually know there was a party essentially in power in Northern Ireland that was anti-gay sex, anti the idea that climate change is real, uh, and anti what's this? Anti-abortion, and anti-abortion, yes, anti-abortion. God, which is, speak, and anti-abortion only woman in the room. completely mad because I believe their main thing is we're not Catholic. That's right. <laughs> Isn't that their main yeah. thing. So yeah. why don't yeah. they get all pro-abortion? Because that will piss off the Catholics. But they're also very pro-Brexit. Might be a bit simplistic. They're here. very pro-Brexit, but want a very open border with Ireland. I, I mean, the I, whole thing is so complicated. My favourite line about them is basically the Bible that's the manifesto with fortnightly bin collections there you go where do you stand on the DUP they're just they're, I mean they're, they're, I'm, not, I'm not a fan but no. they're, look they're basically just they're basically just they're that UKIP bit of politics that because of the weird history of Northern Ireland and the weird factionalism of Northern Ireland has a sort of is is incredibly strong they evolved out of out of Ian Paisley's party and then sort of got a bit more moderate although in a very sort of we're talking about a short step take you a very long way um, but I mean the Tories have been like effectively in coalition with the DUP forever they're forever propping them up they're forever relying on them in, but they never prefer. mention it normally. they never well, mention it exactly mention it. the Conservative and Unionist no, Party yeah. we are the Conservative and Unionist was, Party never been mentioned they got, before <laughs> they, they got right the way through the, through, through the Maastricht negotiations on sort of relying on the DUP so it's it's not new, new that they're there lurking in the background they always have been I read that one of their major figures when talking about discussions at Stormont said that gay marriage was a red line they would not cross. Now, the last time I heard that phrase, it was Barack Obama talking about chemical weapons. Right? But apparently gay marriage is but a But he didn't line. go through with it. What? Obama. No, I know that. So know he screwed that up. But yeah. that aside, the idea of a red line, which is, you know, just sort of metaphorically, sounds like the worst thing possible. The line... For them, it's gay marriage. One of yeah. their MPs has said that is the red line that we will never cross, which is kind of extraordinary. So now we move to the other complication, which is Ruth Davidson, who probably is the most popular Tory in the country. Yeah, she is. Who is a lesbian in Scotland, and obviously I think very... she's lesbian wherever she goes. Okay, but at the moment <laughs> she's, current, she's currently lesbianing <laughs> in Scotland, and obviously for her, the idea of, of an alliance with the DUP yeah. is highly offensive. Yes, so, but discuss. She, okay, she, firstly, she's not an MP. She's an okay. MSP. She's a member of the Scottish Parliament. It's certainly possible, certainly according to what she's always said in the past, Ruth Davidson doesn't want to be Prime Minister. She wants to be First Minister of Scotland. She is going to want to be Prime Minister. Come on. Well, I don't she know. Might. I mean, I so far, it's like a shit job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I have to say, who wants I, that job? Right. It's strong and stable. And now we're on to the Labour Party. It's safe to say that many Labour moderates have been forced to eat humble pie this week, specifically organic vegan humble pie from Waitrose, and admit that Jeremy Corbyn isn't that bad, really. In fact, things have gone so well that it looks like there won't be a leadership contest for at least, I don't know, a week. <laughs> Labour's 40% vote shares thought partly to have come from a newly energised youth vote, with polling stations reporting floods of young voters turning up in the mid-afternoon looking for somewhere to charge their iPhones. So, guys, did, I mean, again, back to Michael Gove, was he right? Are all, we don't trust experts anymore. Everyone got it wrong. Well, well, I mean, sorry, no, I, I, Corbyn. I, 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 
I'm, I'm not an expert. I think I've proved on this podcast. <laughs> but I had a very strong sense that everyone saying that they were going to do badly was wrong in the last week before the election. Uh, I don't know what, whatever the polls said. It was obvious, uh, I think, that A, he had changed and done really well on the TV and all the and the stuff about the debates. and uh, He just seemed like a competent, really attractive politician but also, it was really obvious if, from social media that the young vote was was being mobilised. And actually, if we could talk about social media for a minute, I think if you want to know where the old guard of pollsters and pundits get it wrong, it's because they don't really understand social media. And the key element of social media is it mobilises very quickly. So this idea that like if you've got a 20% lead, history shows you could never have that overturned very quickly, that's bollocks now. Swings of opinion can happen very quickly, and stuff that seems fringe can suddenly uh, get a very wide support, because where in the past those would be very disparate voices, they cohere. And once they've cohered, they attract other people. And suddenly you've got a huge swell of support, and other people saying, come, come, come. And that come, come, come is heard now. Come and vote and all the rest of it. And you could feel that happening. Rachel, you wrote a great article about your kids voting. Well, I had uh, two of my children, the, the males... Uh, of the litter um, voted, relevant, voted, lab- uh, voted Tory but my daughter who's um, 22 voted for Corbyn you know people on Tinder were saying swipe yeah. right and then, <laughs> then they were saying have you voted I looked at Facebook and you know you could put these red roses and on your profile and then there was this extraordinary meme or gif or whatever you call it that gussied up um, Corbyn to look like David Beckham. That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, it was oh in his pants. Seriously hot. It was hot. I was <laughs> I aroused. Think what we saw was, um, you know, ex- it was about expectation management. You know, Theresa May started with everybody assuming the cult of personality. Everyone would fall in love with her. Everyone fell out of love with her. Mm. Then started seeing a bit more of Jeremy Corbyn, and you know, social media was going wild. He was having these rallies. It, what, what were his nicknames? The Absolute Boy. You know, mm. things like that. He kind of somehow connected with the with the youth vote. This, this is this is the but this is the problem with um. Uh, this is the problem with the kind of the sort of the, the sh- the shock and trauma of Brexit on the pundit classes, right? <laughs> because I knew perfectly well that everyone I knew was voting Labour. You know, I, I barely know anyone who wasn't voting Labour. Yeah. yeah. You kind of think, well, I live in a bubble. That's got nothing to do with anything. Mm-hmm. Just it's a big bubble. Just because yeah. everyone I know is voting Labour doesn't because most Did people. Did you vote Britain, Labour? No. Uh, but um. No, I voted Lib Dem. He voted for you. It's 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 immensely confusing because lots of people did vote Labour despite Jeremy Corbyn. However. One after an election, they all go in the same column. They all become a ringing endorsement. Of it doesn't him. make any difference. So it doesn't yeah. make any difference. So, um, so you, it's I don't know. Someone, look from my point of view, I voted Labour. Uh, I have always voted Labour. I used to vote Labour because Glenda Jackson was my MP, and I once saw her on the radio <coughs> saying that the high point of her career, and she's won two Oscars, was the Morecambe and Wise show. And I decided in that moment that I would always vote for her. But then Tulip Siddiqui, who is now my MP, seemed fine to me. But also. I'm someone who has always has been conflicted about Corbyn, uh, partly because of the people around him, uh, because Corbyn himself does seem to be, in his own way, reasonably nice for someone who is a yeah. Marxist. Yeah. But I'm not sure about John McDonald, who I think is a died-in-the-world trot, and Seamus Mill is a Stalinist. Mental. He, he's a Stalinist. Uh, and there are quite a few people around that uh, caucus who do seem to be completely proper Joseph Stalin he wasn't so bad and he really was I know you've got to hand it to Jezza for having united the Labour Party and you know for around a Stalinist Benite trot you've named all the people that people don't actually like Mm. do you think Diane Abbott took too much of the flack 
Everyone was naming, well, even for like Corbyn, I couldn't have Diane Abbott. Well, well, I, How I, much of a problem was that? Well, I don't know. I think in the end that, that backfired as well because I thought Diane Abbott screwed up on a couple of interviews, although in the same, like a really wrong thing, this was an interesting moment, was when that thing happened on Woman's Hour, uh, even though there was then, as ever, a bit of an anti-Semitic backlash against Emma Barnett, mm-hmm. but I was listening to that and I thought, I hate this, when a politician can't remember a figure, like a human being, yeah, yeah. can't remember a figure and has to look it up on their iPad and the journalist starts saying, oh, you're looking it up up on your iPad, that means you're rubbish and can't yeah. be... No, it doesn't. Whereas journalists that, know everything. That, yeah, I've got everything do. in my head. That's what people do with figures. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's completely straightforward. I think so, people were really sympathetic when he couldn't remember. Yeah, I, agree. I can't remember what I did five minutes ago. The problem with a lot of this, though, is this is this is what people think if they're on Twitter, if they caught up with Emma Barnett's interview on Women's Hour, if they saw the Facebook meme, if they saw all that. That's a like a vanishingly small proportion of the electorate. That's not really how people voted. People voted for Labour where they voted Labour and remember Labour didn't win but people voted Labour when they voted Labour because they didn't like the Tories they didn't like austerity they thought Theresa May was rubbish because they vaguely saw her on the news but those people that read it is the bubble and so does the bubble exist does it matter that is a bubble I mean everyone that read that is in that sort of journalistic the bubble the bubble is yeah, no sure. longer print I think we can yeah, absolutely so is it a bubble.com there, are, ma- there, are, there well, are many many bubbles well, but, the print, okay. but, I think the print, but I think the print bubble doesn't quite realise yet how it is not the important bubble it's anymore. not big bubble oh, it anymore. Is. do you yeah. think Paul Dacre looks at all those uh, copies of the his paper the, the day before the election the 13 pages attacking mm. the troika of evil and yeah. thinks Oh, that really helped, didn't it? Well, I don't get that. I mean, who's who's that for? Who's yeah, that? I agree. Because they're preaching to the converted that's anyway. For all the Daily Mail readers. But did you see again on Twitter on the morning everyone buying up all the and copies of the Sun and the yeah. Mail, burning them? And you think, no, well, but that does have an, I think that does have an impact. I think. Do you think for young people? I think young people because it's will a physical to the idea that here's our burning. hero, here's our savior, being attacked by the forces of you know evil, well, and and he becomes more of a hero yeah. because the it Mail have piled on this. Isn't that book burning essentially? Yes. No. But, I mean, but there are, no, I don't think it's book no. burning. No, I don't think burning the mail. Burning it's not a book. It's, it's not, not a book. book. Okay, it's paper burning. <laughs> it's, I get that. And also, it's slightly, slightly below paper. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's sort of book burning. But, but I mean, there, there's a novella burning. There is, yeah. there is a big constituency of Jeremy Corbyn's sort of most passionate support, the momentum support, yeah. for whom, I mean, the enemy isn't the Tories. They're not interested in the Tories. They're barely even aware of the Tories. No, they're the enemy only. is the media. The enemy is the Daily Mail. The enemy is the Sun. They're well, the people the that are fighting about. That's the other enemy. And the Blairites, yeah. But it's all happening in that Who are the Blairites? It's not know. even clear that they even exist anymore. <laughs> There's no way of knowing how people vote, why they vote. A vote is a binary thing. There's, there is no way of knowing how many people voted Labour thinking Labour would lose, and how many people wouldn't have voted Labour if they thought if they thought there was a chance that Corbyn would be Prime Minister. Why would you There's, vote Labour and think they lose? You might because you want to express your support to a party that's going to be devastated anyway. Oh, look, I know I know loads of people who like Brexit in a way. Yeah, sure. You vote I, Brexit I know, as a protest. Hope I know, it I know lo- loads of people who wanted to give their support to to what they regarded as moderate anti-Corbyn Labour MPs or just the party generally because okay, yeah. they thought it was going to get a drop. I've got one friend who said to me, I, "Lots of people said I'm voting Labour, but not for Corbyn." And I've got one friend who said to me, "I'm voting Labour, but not for Corbyn." Although I do live in Islington North, so I am literally <laughs> strong. <laughs> And stable. And now it's time to go over to our roving reporter, Jonathan Pye, whose already strong faith in the British public has in no way been rattled by the result of this election. Uh, isn't that right, Jonathan? Thanks, Dom. I'm out on the streets in... Uh... Oh, shit, where is it? I, d- I don't know, but it's a, it's a shithole. Uh, where, where are we again? OK, all right, let's go again. And I'm asking shoppers for their thoughts on Theresa May's election disaster. Hi, could could you could you answer a uh, excuse me? Could you answer a couple of questions? Yeah, fuck you then, buddy. Twat. See, they don't want to talk about it, do they? 
strong and stable. We, we didn't buy it from the start. When was the last time we had a strong and stable government? Oddly, it was when the Lib Dems were involved. Since then, the Tories have twice gone to the country and didn't get the result they wanted. They've been found out. The public have found her out. How does a UK government systematically and repeatedly act in their own self-interest rather than that of the country? Oh, hang on a minute. Let me get my dictionary out. Here, under politics, it says a bunch of selfish twats who act in their own self-interest rather than that of the country. And to be fair, Boris has said he'll stand behind Theresa May. It sounds selfless, but I imagine he means in much the same way as Brutus stood behind Julius Caesar. Anyway, this isn't about my opinion. They voted for her because she says she'll stand up for Britain, just not when the President is making ill-informed remarks about our elected officials or when selling arms to Saudi Arabia or doing deals with the Qatar. You know, those countries with links to ISIS. And they've been shit, the Tories, continually being blocked by the Lords, continually being challenged in the courts. They deny decent debate over Brexit. There is nothing strong or stable about them, and there hasn't been for a while. Fucking Vox Pops. The graveyard shift for any failed reporter. Look at this place. Jesus. It looks like the sort of place where Lord Buckethead would actually win. They had two choices in this constituency. Tory or Lib Dem. I mean, what a choice. Farron looks limp. He looks like he doesn't have a skeleton. Or at least he's missing the spine. He, he should have borrowed Nick Cleggs because uh, he won't be needing it anymore. <sighs> this, is, this is my worst nightmare. Interacting with the general public. It's the one thing I have in common with Theresa May. Right, fuck this. They don't want to talk to me. I don't want to talk to them. Let's get a pasty from Greg's and get the fuck out of Dodge. Strong and stable. Now, Theresa May still insists she's the right person to lead us into Brexit negotiations. And given Number 10's success at negotiating a larger majority with the public, negotiating support within the Cabinet, and announcing they had a deal with the DUP when they didn't, I'm sure we've got nothing to worry about. Rachel, yeah. what does the election result mean for Brexit? Tell us all. Well, I mean, I said earlier, 80% of the electorate voted for parties that have said they will enact Brexit. But don't forget, Labour was a Remain party going into... So in the last election. the referendum. So actually, to say, well, the way people say, you know, the country still, the, the election doesn't change the referendum result, doesn't take into account the fact that Labour, even though Corbyn obviously voted Brexit, Labour was for Remain. And I think that, you know, anybody with a brain uh -oh. has got to see that Brexit is an unparalleled act of economic self-harm. And honestly... I can barely think about anything else at the moment because I just think, to my, I, I, I imagine people like my brother or Michael Gove or even Theresa May, what do they actually think in, when they're lying in the dark? Well, I've got to and, ask you. No, no, it's your brother. I, I, Have you I, asked no, him? Have you asked are, him? I'm sorry. Don't, don't ask your brother what he thinks yeah, about lying Your brother in the dark, bloody led him. Like, there's what? loads of things he When it comes to Christmas and you're all pissed how... and they've all stopped laughing about the Lib Dems, will you promise no, me to ask Boris? No, he just says, I don't understand. I don't oh, understand how evil Europe is, how it's an una, you know, unaccountable bureaucracy. So he nobody does says, definitely believe it. By the way, nobody says unaccountable bureaucrats about our own civil service, do they? No. So just it's always Brussels bureaucrats as if they're some evil kind of... But genuinely, you know, there are a lot of people that feel Boris did it as a sort of a uh, stance. No, but he genuinely believes no, but in Brexit. He genuinely believes in Brexit. And really? I genuinely still? believe he's wrong. And that's what yeah, we of course. are. And he plan. still believes in Brexit. Of course he does. Absolutely 100%. And also, he's also converted Theresa May into a fervent Brexiteer, as far as I can see. Well, he's And then he's thrilled, I presume, I haven't spoken to him, he, I'm, you know, Gove coming back in. you not speaking. Do they have meetings? <laughs> um, 
Do they have meetings? Who's they? We know the Brexiteers, where they so, try and bring I new you converts. Meant the Johnsons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the party is meeting the Johnson party. So how do you? Well, you are saying you know we do believe in Johnsons, but um, yeah, yeah. So Johnsons are thicker than Brexit, basically. <laughs> Blood is thicker than water. <laughs> it's it's going to be fine. There is no way they can get th- get a hard Brexit through the Commons. They can't get anything through the Commons. So what is a so, soft Brexit then? A soft Brexit is basically remaining in the European Economic Area, perhaps remaining in the Customs Union. Perhaps we'll do it in some sort of transitional way that goes, this is what we're establishing now, and once we figure out actually what we want to do, we'll do that at some later date Which accepts, in 50 by the years. way, Hugo, some yeah. jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice. Yes. And I suppose the Tories must agree that a bit of ECJ is better than a lot of Corbyn. Look, they can keep, they can keep banging, away, banging on slogan. about... <laughs> they can keep banging on about precisely how they're going to do Brexit forever, getting nowhere. They can get completely beaten up by the Europeans, trash the economy, not be able to do anything, or they can just accept some sort of existing situation that's being handed on a plate, which is a sort of soft Norway-style Brexit, and they'll go, you know what, let's let's bank that one, talk about other things and keep working on this. Is there and I reckon any, that's what they'll do. Is there any way in which there could be no Brexit? Or is that complete? There is going to be some I think it would Brexit. be politically very difficult for them to actually say it's not happening anymore, and there would have to be another referendum. Oh, By the way, if there was another referendum, I'm pretty sure the country would now vote against it. The point about Brexit, which is not, I think, an original point, but is what it actually is. I was on a, com- I was on a bloody thing, the agenda, that ITV programme, with Nigel oh, Raj about two and a half years ago, and I said to him at that point, this was a mistake, I was I wrong about that. this, yeah, yeah. I said to him, Nigel, why are you banging on like Europe? Europe's such a dull subject. It's always the bit in on question time where I turn off <laughs> Europe. It's really it's like world music on Jules Holland. Yes, and what I didn't realise was, what Nigel was exactly, what Nigel was able to do, really single-handedly, although Boris was part of it, was make a very dull issue actually to do with trade treaties that no one has read into a question of national identity. Yeah. And it's Mm -hmm. not a question of He made it bulldog, didn't he? He made it about British identity, and he made it an emotional issue, rather than a very, very dull reading the Maastricht Treaty Mm -hmm. issue. And that's what a lot of people got behind. But also, I think it's interesting, I mean, where I live in the Cotswolds, which is white and whiter, it's either British bulldog types mm. or it's the ultra posh that voted Brexit. It's the, the two extremes went for it. And it is a kind of intellectual elite that almost feel we kind of like the fact that we're rocking the boat in a way. Do you think By that's the what way, your brother's politicians doing? Politicians shouldn't be negotiating Brexit at all. As David says, it's detailed trade stuff. It's yeah. going to be going through. But that's the boring stuff, isn't four it? Million, yeah, it? Four million documents but they need, do, they, line but by they, line on But a that's the problem. Basis. They've all gone for the big, like, they swishy need, move and then they've buggered off. But they, they do need to decide what they actually want. I mean, you know. The, the, the problem with getting anybody else to negotiate Brexit is we, we don't know what we don't Nobody know what we will want. be bothered, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, but honestly. There's like, there's like 2,000 regulations about milk, for yes. example, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. one product that's being traded across Europe. There's like 2,000 regulations about To actually decouple us, whatever the Gwyneth Paltrow thing is, in a kind <laughs> consciously of... Uncoupling. Consciously uncoupling. Yeah. From my the, pint of milk. I leave that with my mum every morning. From the millions and millions yeah. of other regulations about all the other products, yeah. we'll just take an awful lot of finickety nonsense that will take up all our civil service time and money and blah, blah, blah. So that's the problem, because that's got nothing to do with bulldog. Guys, we are running out of time. I'm sorry, we could go on forever. I've got a couple of things to finish off. One is a quick fire round, if you could just answer. David, Lord Heseltine or Lord Buckethead? Lord Buckethead. (laughs) No question. No, no question. I love Buckethead. Rachel, Philip Hammond or Richard Hammond? Philip Hammond. Really? Ooh, that's yeah, no, controversial. Got, I'm, 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 I'm with you. I've got a slight like, soft spot for, for spreadsheet. Have you? Phil, yeah. Hugo, Queen's Speech or James and the Giant Peach? <laughs> <laughs> James and the Giant Peach. Okay, and finally, finish this sentence, David. The next leader of the Conservative Party will be... Rachel Johnson. <laughs> Rachel, <laughs> the next leader of UKIP will be... Um, it's this new bloke. 
Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson. <laughs> but just intellectually. Hugo, the next general election will be held... Tomorrow. <laughs> you think? No. Six weeks. Six weeks. No, no. actually, I don't think that at all. No, I think, please, I, I no. think it'll, it'll be... We can't one. start. Early, not early next year. Not early next year. And before we go, we'd like to say thank you to everyone who's left us a review on Twitter or wherever you download your podcasts from. Uh, thank you. It makes a massive difference to our chart position, egos, and chance of getting recommissioned. So please log on and leave a review. The funnier and more complimentary, the better. I'd particularly like to thank a man called Dan, who writes, despite the involvement of Dom Jolly, I'm quite enjoying the Strong and Stable <laughs> podcast. Thank you, Dan. Uh, my brother, there. Not an overwhelmingly positive review, but there are plenty of people who haven't slagged me off. So if you're one of them, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, and that's it. You've been listening to Strong and Stable, produced by That Lot for Deezer. Please join us next week, by which time I'm sure nothing much will have changed, except that we'll be pulling out a Brexit, three new Prime Ministers will have come and gone, and Great Britain will be known as Northern Ireland East. In the meantime, please tell, text, tweet all your friends about us, especially the young ones, as we hear they're the ones most likely to make an effort. Very special thanks to our guests, David Baddiel, Rachel Johnson, Hugo Rifkind, Michael Gove, who didn't turn up, to Jan Ravens and Jonathan Pye. And to writers Andrea Mann, Robin Flavel, Flavel, I don't know, Dan Bowman, <laughs> James Martin. Until next week, goodbye. That was Strong and Stable. We'll catch you next time. Please subscribe. Strong and Stable is a Deezer Originals production. You can find and download more episodes on Deezer and all major podcast providers. Deezer. Deezer. Originals.